If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles this morning, I'll be reading some of Jesus' words from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. You'll find your place, and I'll give you a heads up whenever we get to that part in today's message. I think it's important to have a little bit of context as we begin. All of Jesus' parables, stories that Jesus used to illustrate spiritual truth, are set within a context. And uh, we'll explore a little bit of that as we gather today. We're going to talk today about how the parables sometimes are a mirror and help us to see ourselves and to reckon or to deal with some of the, the things spiritually that God is putting in front of us. So let's pause for a time of prayer as we begin. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us, we who are sinners, sinners saved by your grace, in need of your grace. Humble us as we seek to follow you and help us as we seek to be more and more like Jesus. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. You might think, Pastor, this is not the Holy Week. This text is situated during the last week of Jesus' life. But we also know that the gospel is applicable anytime, anywhere, any day. And as we approach the end of the Pentecost season uh, toward Advent, these scriptures yet come to life to us. You remember that Jesus had entered Jerusalem as the humble king, quite unexpected, not like his followers expected, and certainly not like anybody else would have expected a Messiah to come into Jerusalem, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, as we see in Matthew 21, 5. And the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we've sung those very words today. The whole city is stirred and asks, who is this? And the crowds answer, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus enters the temple and drives out the sellers and buyers. He overturns the tables. He is indignant with what he sees happening. And then the blind and the lame came to him right there in the temple, and Jesus healed them. These miracles, along with the children saying, Hosanna to the son of David, caused the chief priests and the teachers of the law to become very angry. That's in verse 15 of chapter 21. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that miracles of people healing, the blind and the lame, people being healed in that very moment would have upset the religious authorities? Would you imagine that children making a little bit too much noise in the temple area would have upset the religious authorities? Hmm. Makes us think about religion today, doesn't it? And how sometimes we can allow our traditions and our rules and our regulations to get in the way of us seeing the Holy Spirit at work. It's a challenge to us as we read these passages. So then Jesus leaves the city. He's in disgust and he goes back to Bethany 
And the next morning he returns and you see that occasion where he cursed the fig tree, symbolic of the religious leaders who had no evidence of fruit in their religious practices. And then Jesus enters the temple courts. Mark has it in his gospel on Tuesday, but Matthew sort of condensed the story into Monday. We know that it's very early in that last week of Jesus's physical life on earth. The chief priests and the scribes were still stewing from the day before. So now Jesus faces the chief priests and the elders of the people. They're angry still, and now they begin to ask him about his credentials. And now we get to verse 23 of chapter 21. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? So by what authority and who gave it to you? Jesus replied, as he commonly did, with another question back to them, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, speaking of John the Baptist, John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say, you can imagine, they're, they're in a circle maybe and they're huddled up and they said, if we say from heaven, he's going to ask us, then why didn't you believe in John the Baptist? Why didn't you live out the repentance that he called you to live out? But if we say of human origins, we're, gonna, we're afraid of these people because they all hold that John was a prophet. So the chief priests and the elders re re responded, answered to Jesus, we don't know. Then Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. As Jesus would commonly do, he's not going to cave into what they're trying to interrogate or um, intimidate him to do. Jesus' response to the challenge of his authority indicates two possibilities. That authority could come from heaven or authority can come from humans. One commentator says, first there's human authority. No matter how sophisticatedly it is packaged, human authority is a matter of raw power. If you have enough people behind you or guns with you, you have it, and what you say goes, period. Divine authority, he writes, on the other hand, has to do with truth, the truth of God, the truth about who God made us to be. In the short run, human authority can appear to overwhelm divine authority, even to crucify it, but ultimately God's truth prevails. The chief priests got together and they discussed what Jesus asked them. They dialogued with one another about how they might answer Jesus. And the Greek word translated discussed is dialogizomai. It's their answer simply, used, this, this Greek word tells us that their answer came from human logic and reasoning. They didn't seem to pause and say, guys, let's pray about what Jesus has asked us. They just went on their own human logic and reasoning. 
They're most concerned about what Jesus or the crowds might say or do. They're afraid. With either answer to Jesus' question, they would lose face or lose authority before the people. So they provide a non-answer to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't fall into their trickery. He would not answer their question at all. Rather, he spoke with them in a parable. Sometimes parables are like a mirror. We're reading the Bible and we read a parable and we see ourselves in the parable. It reminds us of how Nathan the prophet confronted David in the Old Testament and he confronted him with a parable. You remember what Jesus did, how he conspired to kill Bathsheba's husband out on the battlefield and then took her as his wife against her will. And then Nathan the prophet comes and confronts Jesus with this, with a parable. It's like a mirror that David had looked in. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, David, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and grew up with him and his children It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came along to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David, hearing this story from Nathan the prophet, stewed with anger, burdened with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, David, you are the man. This is not the you are the man that we hear on the tee box at the golf course this is not you the man this is David you're the man in the story who exploited the poor man and then a little later in verse 13 David said to Nathan I have sinned against the Lord that parable served as a mirror to David the parables serve as a mirror often to us. If you'll look with me at verses 28 through 32, you'll see this parable that Jesus gives to the elders and the chief priests. What do you think, he said to them? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. That son answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Jesus says to the chief priests and the elders, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered, Then Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you for John, John the baptizer, 
came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Jesus gives them a parable, confronts them. And Jesus gives us this parable too, to confront us as people of God today. And we have to grapple with it, wrestle with it. And what I see here are a few things uh, as we try to uh, understand the reflection that we see in the mirror. And that is that our works are more important than words. Jesus, he says, this father asked, had two sons to work in the vineyard. The first son, he said, I'm not going to do it. And then later had a change of heart and he went and worked in the vineyard. The other son said, I'll do it, dad. And then just totally disrespected and disregarded his father. And I believe here that we say our works are more important than words. Sometimes we have a change of heart and later we will say, you know what, I'm going to follow what God asked me to do. I I wasn't in there from the beginning, but but now I see what God's saying to me and I'm, I'm going to follow through with what I know I need to do. That's the fruit that people see, not necessarily our words. Words are important, but what we do is even more important because that's what other people see. And, and then we might stop there and we might f- fall into a works righteousness to make it all about works. So the second point holds us accountable there and that is doing God's will is more than works. It's more than the fruit. That's very, very important. But doing God's will is more than works. It's about having a change of heart. We've got to be careful to understand that the heart is the real issue here. I believe that verse 29 and verse 32 that speak of repentance, having a change of heart, is really what Jesus is driving at here. The word that is used in the Greek New Testament translated change of heart, change of mind, is metamelomai. Metamelomai. It's translated change one's mind, but... The literal understanding of this word has to do with to change what one is most concerned about, changing what one cares about, what one is concerned about. Verse 29 might be translated, I am not willing, but having a change of heart, he went. Repentance traditionally is about having a change of mind, But this particular verb is having a change of heart, a change of being. God wants our hearts, desires that our hearts change, that we might live like Jesus. There seems to be an attitude among Jesus' opponents and among many today that says conversion and all that new religious stuff is all right for them, but I don't need it. I believe the primary point of this parable is about having a change of heart, not just having a religious experience or saying or doing the right things. Maybe this couple of little illustrations will help. There were two couples. Couple A were married in a large, beautiful church ceremony. They pledged lifelong faithfulness to one another. They had very moving vows, meaningful words in their vows. However, their life together has been one of conflict, abuse, physical and verbal. 
They're always fighting. They have not been faithful to one another. They said and did the right things, but they didn't follow through. Couple B lives together. They did not have a public ceremony. They signed no marriage license. They spoke no vows. There were no nice uh, religious words in, in any kind of a ceremony in the presence of witnesses. However, they love one another. They affirm one another. They respect one another. They have remained faithful to one another. So which couple would you say is doing the will of God? And I would submit, as in this parable, that both need a change of heart. Couple A, in the way that they act towards one another and treat one another and respect one another and live out what they said that they were going to do. And couple B, about the importance of having a marriage before God and the importance of a public ceremony with witnesses where they can covenant in marriage with one another. Both couples need a change of heart. I believe both of these sons in the parable needed a change of heart. God is pointing to repentance. The brother who said, I'm not going to do it, but did, had a change of heart. The, the brother, the son that said, I'll do it, but didn't, needed a change of heart. The parable is focusing on both of these individuals. And I think meaning that all of us can find room for God to work in our hearts. And every one of us can seek to be more and more like Jesus. That's the third thing today, that God's will requires a change of heart. And that change of heart comes through the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. God working in us, allowing us to respond to his leadership. And that our hearts change and that our lives are more and more evidence of Jesus at work in our lives. This is when we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit, humble ourselves, just as you heard earlier read that Jesus humbled himself before God and became obedient even to death, death on a cross. We don't have to die on every cross because Jesus did that. We are saved through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But every day we are called to live a life of repentance, saying, I am sorry for the ways that I have failed you, God. I need your grace. Forgive me for my sins. Help me to live for you every day. Jesus gives us a reminder of this grace gift that he's given us. And he gathered with his disciples on that last night of his life and he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. As often as you meet together, take, eat, this do in remembrance of me. And Jesus, in the same way, took the cup and blessed it and poured it out, saying, this is my blood which is shed for you for the remission of your sins and the sins of many. As often as you meet together, take, drink, this do in remembrance of me. Today, our deacons will be serving you. They are coming in just a moment. We'll have two stations, and we will take the elements by intinction, meaning simply take bread from one of our servers and then dip it into the cup the other will be holding. 